CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are back talking more CFL football here with our Week 2 CFL Recap. If you missed the news as of earlier today, the Canadian Football Countdown is officially a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. For those that don't know what that is, it is a network of a bunch of great CFL podcasts out there, uh, many different shows out there covering the game we all know and love. Um, follow all of them at, first of all, follow the Canadian Football Podcast Network at, at CF Pod Network on Twitter. And while you're out there on your Twitter machines, make sure you go out and check out all of the other members of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Um, so you can find, uh, there's a lot of them, Mike. There, there's, there's quite a few here. I'll go through and mention all of them, um, and give them the recognition they deserve. Uh, we start off with the Piffles Podcast out of Regina. Uh, so if you're a Riders fan, make sure you check out the Piffles Podcast. You can find them on Twitter at PifflesPod. Uh, the Eskimo Empire podcast, uh, for all you Eskimo fans out there, at Esk Empire Pod on Twitter. If you're a Ticats fan, check out Podski Wee at Podski Wee on Twitter. Alouettes fans, you heard Cliffy D of the Alouettes Flight Deck podcast on our week two preview this past week. Uh, you can check them out at Alouettes FL Deck on Twitter. Uh, the Two and Out CFL podcast, they're another one that covers the entire CFL. Uh, check them out on Twitter at Two and Out CFL. Uh, the BC Lions Den podcast, uh, check them out at BC Lions Den on Twitter. CFL Horseman, uh, covering the Calgary Stampeders at CFL underscore Horseman on Twitter. Uh, the Blue Bomber Talk podcast, Mike, based here in Winnipeg, covering the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You guessed it. Uh, you can find the host of that, John Hodge, on Twitter, at John D. Hodge. Uh, the Rouge Radio podcast, another podcast covering the entire CFL. You can follow them on Twitter, at Rouge Radio. And uh, the Rouge White and Blue podcast, Mike, uh, will be joined by one of their hosts on our Week 3 preview this week. That's Joe Pritchard, uh, host of the Rouge White and Blue podcast, will be joining us. You can find their work at RWB Podcast on Twitter. And, of course, the Argos Fancast uh, covering, you guessed it, the Toronto Argonauts. You can find them on Twitter at Argos Fancast as well. So, all of these great members of this podcast network, and boy, are we honored and excited to be a part of it. Absolutely. Uh, when you told me the news today, uh was a very, very happy side today. So check out all of those shows I mentioned. Uh, you can find them at CF Pod Network is the main Canadian football podcast network account. Uh, also, cfpodnetwork.ca is where you can find all of the members, including us, once that all gets set up. Um, for those that are listening to our show for the first time, I'm Ryan Coop. This is Michael Garrell. Good evening. Welcome. Uh, we hope you enjoy your stay. Um, 
we cover the entire CFL here on the podcast. So we're based here in Winnipeg, but we like to talk the entire CFL because every game in the CFL is interesting in one way or another. And we'll get into talking about this past week's games that was full of a lot of blowouts, but still some interesting takeaways. We want to cover the entire CFL. That's what we do every week with our previous week recap episode and then also our next week preview episode. So this is the recap. So are you ready to get into recapping some football games here? Yes. Football time, Mike. Let's get into football. Uh, Yeah. Week two has come and gone, and I think the best way to classify this is the week of the blowout or the week I've heard it called this lead is safe because four football games, lowest margin of victory, 17 points. I call it something else. Everything we discussed last week in the garbage can. Isn't that normally how it goes? Basically, um, wow. Um, just when you thought you had a clear picture, goes to show why you don't make much of one week. And which is probably why you don't go about making assumptions on week number two either. So Chris Strebler is not going to be a MOP of the CFL this year, Mike? Well, <laughs> he had been there, consistent. There is some sarcasm there, just, right. just in case that's not detected. Right. Um, um, but before, you know, I don't want to get right into the Strebler talk. We want to start with the first game of the week here. Uh, Thursday night football game, the Ottawa Red Blacks kick off their season. They're, they had the buy in week one hosting the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and after that week one strong defensive performance against the Argos, we both picked the Riders coming into this game, I believe, and, and we, we were, were expecting wrong. We were expecting more of the same from the Riders, and uh, to Ottawa's credit, they steamrolled them. 40-17, to 17, the final score in Ottawa's favor. I had a small inclination last week. And I don't think I said this on the show or the podcast. I had a small inclination to pick Ottawa last week, but it was overridden by this rider defense that I thought was going to remain on schedule. And one of my concerns that I had, or not my concern, but, you know, the week went by, Ottawa doesn't have anything substantial on videotape, Saskatchewan has a lot on videotape for Ottawa to look at. So, very interesting uh, dynamic that way. Certainly. And, you know, we weren't sure what to expect from Ottawa coming to this game. I think we sold them a little bit short in our preseason predictions. And granted, it's week, you know, one game in for them. But they came out, they looked great. That offense, the Buds. Greg Ellingson, Brad Sinopoli, picking up right where they left off, uh, especially in that first half. The, you know, they got a lot of catches there. Deontay Spencer had himself a big game. William Powell had a big game. And I, I'll say this, William Powell might be the most one of the most underrated players in the CFL. I mean, the guy was 17 yards short of winning the rushing title last year, despite missing some games. When he's in the lineup and he's fed the ball, William Powell is hard to stop. I'm just dumbfounded by the fact that if you look at the Grey Cup predictions, only one or two 
gave Ottawa any ounce of a shot of getting there. No, in the CFL media poll, nobody picked the Red Blacks to win the Grey Cup. Somebody picked Montreal. (laughs) Whoever did that, we'd like to know who you are. Uh, Just kidding. We don't want to put that pressure on you, but nobody picked Ottawa. And I know it's only one game because look at last week. We're all hyping up the Riders after their win against the Argos, and now we're not sure what to make of them. But Ottawa, I I was very impressed with what Ottawa did defensively because I think we knew that Powell would be a beast. We knew that, you know, the – the main guys in the offense for Ottawa would be strong. I thought the defense under Noel Thorpe, who is known as one of the best defensive coordinators in the CFL, performed really well. Uh, they came out there and they made some big plays in that first half. Uh, that Jonathan Rose pick six was a beauty. I'm impressed with what Ottawa did in this football game. Um, Yeah, and to me, I am too. I've I thought Noel Thorpe did a great job of keeping uh, Saskatchewan off balance. Um, he made that Kalaros look like the that Kalaros that we've seen in the last year and a half, and it's concerning. Um, of course, that Kalaros did leave the game with an upper body injury. The game was somewhat close at that point. I forget what the score was when he left. Um but nonetheless, it didn't uh, necessarily work out in in the favor of Saskatchewan in the end result. And unfortunately, they lose their number one pivot. Ottawa kept right on rolling because for me, I saw a Brandon Bridge in relief. That would really concern me in the same sense. I'm not sure if Kalaros or... Bridge is to blame until the Riders fit, fits that offensive line, which you know is co- becoming a big problem through two weeks. Um, for me, though, that was a little bit hidden last week in the standpoint that um, you know they had such a strong defensive performance, but quietly there are some people in Rider Nation going. You know, the ones with a little bit of common sense and didn't plan the Great Cup Parade after week number one. That said, you know, we may have a problem on the offensive line. We may have some problems at quarterback. And those problems manifested themselves in week number two, particularly that offensive line. Yeah, that was a concern, and I I think that was our concern coming into the season. We questioned why Travis Bond was released. And maybe now we're questioning that a little bit more because Ottawa was all over them. Uh, we know Caleros takes that hit. Uh, we know now that he's out six or he's on the six game injured list. And Brandon Bridge will be the starter here for the next couple of weeks going forward. You know, Mike, my, my question for you is defensively for the Riders. Flashback to last week on this podcast, I asked the question kind of jokingly at the end of uh, the episode saying, You know, the Riders' defense really came out and dominated the Argos in Week 1. But, you know, how much stock do you take into Week 1 in the CFL? What happens if the Riders' defense goes and gets destroyed by Ottawa in Week 2? Great performance Week 1. Terrible, I should possibly say, performance in Week 2. Question for you now. 
would the real Riders defense please stand up? Which one is it? I think in a situation like this, and it refers to a lot of teams, Ryan, I think we saw their dread in week number one and their bad in week number two or their bad in week number one and their dread this past week. I, I think the simple answer to your question is that defense is as dread as somewhere in the middle of those two. Yeah, I, I really, would, I would say so as well. And overall, this is a game. You know, this this was a very exciting game early on because we saw it go back and forth there in the first quarter. Uh, I believe it was in the first quarter. First, you get that uh, that Ottawa pick six by Jonathan Rose, and then and that was just a great play and a, a very play. iffy throw. I mean, you know, he wants to make that throw go ahead, right? You make that throw across the field, you know, you got to have that ball there before the receiver turns. And when that doesn't happen, the defender comes underneath, and it's an easy pit, and you know what? There's no bat side protection. Therefore, good luck trying to chase him down once he gets it. And then guess who comes up with a pick six for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? He talks the talk, and uh, to his credit, sometimes he walks the walk on defense. Two games at defensive back, and Deron Carter has two pick sixes. I have a real question. Deron Carter's pick six was his best play of the game. Well, generally, if you come up with a pick six, it is going to be your best. But the rest of the game is rather forgetful. Right. And that's the big thing. People are going to talk about the flashy play, but realistically, it's uh, he, he struggled. He got burned by Deontay Spencer on that long touchdown pass. He got burned a couple of times there. Deron Carter at defensive back, what do you make of it, Mike? Well, uh, sometimes I think, number one, uh, Chris Jones overfinched himself, right? And Chris Jones is a great, co- great coach. Let's not kid ourselves. Deron Carter is a good athlete. When the when the player says, "Coach, I want to play on the other side of the ball," because I get more attention, especially at a position like DB, right? Whereas a receiver, you know, you run your routes, they throw to you on average six to seven times a game. In Durant's position, you know, he's being attacked more on the defensive side of the ball. But again, like I just don't know why. Chris Jones, at least halfway through the game, didn't even consider putting Deron Carter back in a position where he excels. Because quite honestly, they could have used him over there. On the flip side as well, that offensive line was so terrible, I don't even know if it would have mattered. True. Like, like For me, you need to make the decision, where is Deron Carter going to thrive on your team. For me, he's better off on the offense. It doesn't sound like he's going to be there anytime soon. Sounds like that he's going to be on the defensive side of the ball for the foreseeable future. I have to wonder what the mindset is for Duran because isn't it isn't it about you know getting that mega contract the next time around or getting a look at the NFL? So, uh, no, because I'll, I'll cut you off there. I don't think Deron Carter wants to go back to the NFL. He had his time in the NFL. He's been vocal about the fact that he didn't enjoy his time there. I think Deron Carter just loves football, and the CFL is giving him an opportunity to do that. 
And but but don't you want to know about it being one of the highest paid and one of the best players at your position? Oh, certainly. And, and for me, a, a performance like that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Question for you, and I asked you this the other day. Offense or defense, which side of the ball does Deron Carter score more touchdowns on in 2018? Well, I, I think, to be honest with you, with more defensive performances like that one, the Raiders won't have a choice but to put him back up front. And until they fit to the offensive line, who knows how many touchdowns they're going to get. I I trust Chris Jones has a plan to fit to that offensive line ASAP. But for me right now, Jerron Carter's best catching the football, not defending the football. Therefore, I think push will come to shove about the midway point of the season. And I think Jerron will find his way back into the offense. Overall, just to wrap this one up, give me your 30-second take on what your main takeaway from this game for both sides. Well, I, I think what, what you said, you know, we we sold out of a short, you know, very good offense, very good defense, lots of moving. What struck me was the moving parts that they have on defense. You know, they have multiple guys that to play multiple positions, and they can disguise different looks. Now that it's on tape, I want to see how teams approach that. And on the B part, now that it is on tape, how does Noah 4 tinker with it? That's a great way to put it. We'll leave it there on the Riders and the Ottawa Red Quick thing on the Riders, sure, I do yeah. want I do want to see some improvement on that offensive line. They're a lot like another team, which we'll discuss in a, in a little bit with no offensive line. But again, offensive line suddenly has become a topic of discussion in Rider Nation. We move on to our next game here, the first of the Friday night doubleheader. The Montreal Alouettes open their home, or first home game of the season against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Oh, so Lightning didn't make its appearance in this game. No, but it did in the one in Edmonton. <laughs> Over under on the number of Lightning delays the Eskimos face this year. They've got three in two games, Mike. One, two... They yeah. had two in the bomber game and one yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, and three. Uh, I did two delays and three restarts. Uh, um, no, I, I, it's just a coincidence, I guess. Right. Winnipeg, Montreal, two weeks into his young CFL first, career. First question for you, since you didn't talk about it anyway. You weren't sure about Chris Traveler after last week. Has your mind changed even a little bit? The Strevolution has begun in Winnipeg, is what people are calling it. Chris Strevler came out and put on one of the best court performances by a rookie quarterback I have seen in my lifetime as a bit of a younger CFL fan, admittedly, uh, although I feel old at times. Um, 246 yards passing, 22 of 28, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And then what he did on the ground, 10 carries for 98 yards and a touchdown. It's a double-edged sword here. Let's be realistic. It's, on one hand, very impressive performance by a rookie quarterback. On the other hand, you're playing the Montreal Alouettes. How much stock do you take into that, Mike, is the question. Do I Am I very impressed with what he has done? Absolutely. But that being said, look at who he's faced. He's faced a banged-up Eskimos defense that showed again this week that with the injuries, they're struggling, and he's faced the Montreal Alouettes. 
I'm really interested to see how he performs against the Ticats this coming week because they did a great job against that high-powered Eskimos offense. Um, What's your take on Stradler through two games? Stradler's got the lineman's body, let me tell you. Um, you remind me of Buff Pierce, really. I mean, the guy puts his body on the line every single time. I cringe when you say that. No, I know. <laughs> I know, but... That's the first quarterback that comes to mind. Not that I don't love Buck Pierce, but the history of injury. And you see it with Strevler, too, diving head first into tackles. Like, you got to learn to slide. I know you want to get those extra couple yards. I know you want to prove yourself, but don't take the hit. I, I think, and, you know, I kind of wish I wasn't from Winnipeg on this specific question because I'm curious how I would answer this question, but as a Bomber fan, I, I think... Strevler's then I did defensive coordinators fits. You look at the way the offense is built. Tressler, Bowman, Dembski, Walatarski, um Simon I, who got the, the He had a nice catch down the sideline there and a block punt. And a block punt. Uh you know, Harris. We're not even talking about Tim Flanders yet, where I don't even know where he fits in. How now. he gets on the roster when he's bad. Um you know, so just that, right? He's got so many tools to make him successful. I just don't know how you go game plan, right? Because he can throw it deep. He throws a deep ball. Pretty darn accurate. Who throws a better deep ball, Chris Strebler or Darvin Adams? I have no idea. That was a heck of a 26 or 36-yard pass from Darvin Adams, of all people. <laughs> You know, Andrew Harris for the touchdown. You know, you see, and that's what I'm talking about, right? It's like you pull so much out of your playbook, you don't even know where to start to defend. You know, you pass rush it, Chris Reveler probably picks it up and does a little screen to Harris. You know, you can use Harris as a receiver running back. Right? And then, of course, Reveler sees nothing downfield. He's going to take off on you, see exhibit close to 100 yards rushing. It's so cool to have a multi-dimensional quarterback. But I think it's going to take a while for some teams to figure out, you know, the happy medium of how to guard against it. I let Straveler, right? Where you want to take away his passing option, but you also want to be confident of his legs. But let's not kid ourselves, Ryan. The single biggest reason that Strebler found success, in my opinion, was the game opening drive, 95 yards, seven and a half minutes. Because I'll tell you what, seven and a half minutes before the game even starts, really, and your defense is on the field already gassed. You know, they made it 7 nothing. They did a field goal 10 nothing. Montreal did the gift of a touchdown on a long run by by uh, the running back. And then Chris Trevor comes right back with another 90-plus yard drive and basically puts the finishing touches on the football game at 17-7. to And Montreal had no offensive line. The Bombers were right in going right after Drew Willie. Gave him such a nightmare that Every single time he had a chance to throw the ball, he was forced to throw it out before he wanted. 
let's not kid ourselves. Good defense and a good Chris Traveler equals a very good game for the Blue Bombers. They had 30 sets, three sets, first downs. That's a lot. Almost 600 yards of offense, maybe more. I lost count. Montreal had 10 first downs in the whole football game. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this game was a beatdown, just like every other game this week was. So my question, and this is what I was saying, right, a, a team being somewhere in the middle. Bombers' defense didn't look particularly good. This game, they looked very good. Just looked at their opposition, unfortunately. I, I think the opposition had a hard So you're, you're somewhere in the middle here. And for Stravlo's offense, you're somewhere in the middle. Probably closer to the game we saw than Edmonton. I, I, I'd say this, certainly. Uh, I feel comfortable that the Bombers can survive Matt Nichols. Can injury. I just say something about Montreal? Yes. You spent all that money on that defense, and that is what you get? When you have to get off the field as quick as possible to give your offense a chance, granted they didn't really have a chance because the first drive is seven and a half minutes, Montreal needed something from that offense to give that gas defense a chance to finally catch their breath. It's a terrible cycle if you're not getting first downs and your team is on the field getting driven on basically every second drive. The the Alouettes in this one, and, and we'll, we'll, we try, you know, it, it sounds very lopsided from what we're talking about like, because it's hard. Tommy Campbell was on the corner in Montreal. Got burned quite a few times. Yeah, and Ouch. he did. And he did not get burned much last year in Calgary. The only Ouch. time, the only time he got burned was that Devere Posey touchdown catch in the Grey Cup. That was the only time someone had beat him on a deep ball or on a. I think the only time someone had caught scored a touchdown on him. But the Westerman brothers, like on paper, that is a solid defense. It is. It's but, not. Let's win the great cup type of defense, yes. But it's not a defense that one would bank on to give up 56 points. Here, Here's the thing. It's, it's, it's hard, it, it, you know, as a Bombers fan, it, mm-hmm. it's incredibly fun to watch this game because your team is winning 56-10. Yeah. Having gone through the bad years here in Winnipeg, you also feel for Alouettes fans. I mean, 13 straight losses now dating back Tied to last year. the CFL record. Um, I think I heard a stat maybe during the pregame show the other day that the average loss was by 23 points, which is absurd. Um, the offensive line, and you know what? People are bagging on Drew Willie, 16 of 25, 111 yards. He had that one is very respectable. No, uh, no interceptions. The dude was running for his life the entire night. Like, that, Drew Willie did not have a chance at all because the Bombers' defense put on some tremendous pressure. The offensive line could not sustain it. Interesting, but Montreal brings in two quarterbacks this week. Yes, Vernon Adams brought in by the Alouettes, and then who who was the other one? They brought in this guy. The name is Dave Meat, and let's it up right now. His dad played for the uh, Montreal Expos, a, a quarterback. Hadn't played in the CFL before. But like my question is, 
how do you go about fixing that? Like, I wouldn't, it says a lot, to be quite honest with you, when a guy that they brought in five days before the game has to go in in the fourth quarter, having only been there for four or five days. Yeah. Which Matthews was. And for the life of me, I can't figure it out. Here, here's, Why didn't Montreal use the running game? Thank you for asking that, Mike, because that was the question I was just going to bring up. You have Terrell Sutton, which I would argue is one of the best running backs in the CFL. See exhibit on the touchdown. They gave him, he, they handed the ball to him a total of four times in the full 60 minutes of the football game. You're not going to, if your offensive line is struggling, if your quarterback is struggling, you have one of the best running backs in the CFL. How hard is it to figure this out to give him the ball? <laughs> and it's not like for the first half of the first half, but it was a blowout the whole game. At 17-7, to 7, you see a lot of teams go to their running backs still. I would argue the field goal at halftime right at the end kind of put the game out of reach, but and, and and to be fair, you know that that's probably why we didn't see more carries from Sutton is because you're looking at a 34 to seven score at halftime. At that point, you can't be running the clock down. But you know, if it's the only thing going for you offensively, like, do you not do it anyways? Like it's clear. Like for me, like I can't wrap my head around this. Kahari Jones is a really good offensive coordinator. His track record with other teams speaks for itself. If your quarterback is running for his life the whole game, if you ran some option plays with your running back, wouldn't it be a good idea to do so and relax the defense from coming after your quarterback? Like for me, we knew Winnipeg was going to go after them. That was kind of the game plan. How you do nothing to counteract that even... With the score being so lopsided, is just beyond me. Because when when the team is blitzing, and you throw a running and you throw a running play, I'm not an offensive coordinator. Never care to be. Never will be. I think you. I think you can do it. Flip flicker on every play. Let's go. Yeah, but <laughs> granted, but it's a different dynamic when you're blitzing and have to deal with a running back that runs past you. Right? You gotta kinda back off a little bit because it gives you something to think about. To me they did truly really no easy way out of the football game. Guy I wanna talk about before we move on from this game, Drew Wallatarski. And more specifically, the Canadian depth at wide receiver for the bombers. Six different Canadians caught passes for the bombers in this game. Two of them are running backs, Andrew Harris and Keenan LaFrance. You had, at wide receiver, you had Nick Dembski, you had Drew Wolitarski, you had Daniel Petterman, and you had Rashawn Simonai. All catch passes for the Bombers. Or make a big play. Well, and make a big play. And or. Yeah. Not to mention, three Winnipeg-born players scoring a touchdown in the same game for the same team. For the first time since... 1955, I think I read. Could you make the argument the Bombers have the best Canadian wide receiver depth in the CFL? And who would have said that two years ago? Yeah. it'll It's, it's allowed them to put some international players elsewhere. 
guy that's leading the Bombers, defensive line, just to speak on that for a minute, Johnson Jeffcoat, unofficially sits quarterback pressures, according to his stat that I saw from Derek Taylor. Right, yeah, I saw that as Which is tied well. for the lead lead. There's one other Bomber right there as well. For me, like, I just get excited at the progression that we've seen from these first-year players to second year to third year, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but at the end of the day, it was Montreal. Overall takeaways from this game, I'll go. I'll, I'll give the ones on this one here. Bombers side of things, very impressed with what they did on all sides of the ball here. Very impressed with what Chris Strevler did in his second career start. That whole offense. And he only played three quarters in a couple plays. Yes. But, you know, I'll put an asterisk on there that they they did play the Montreal Alouettes, who are on a 13-game losing streak. Let me see what they do against Hamilton this week, because we'll get into that matchup right away that they had, or their game with the Eskimos this week. I think the Ticats are going to be a tough game this week, so I'm interested to see how they work off of this one going forward to that. The Montreal side of things, after week one, we I thought, you know, maybe this is going to be a team that can compete a little bit more this year. And then this happens this week. I don't know what to make of the Montreal Alouettes right now. I still maintain they're going to be better this year than they are than they were last year. But at the same time, if if the offensive line can't get Drew Willie time back there, or even, you know, maybe Vernon Adams comes in and gives them a spark. It's his second stint with the ter- team. You have to think if Willie struggles a little bit longer here, Vernon Adams is going to get the starting job in Montreal, right? Right. So I, I'm interested to see if we see any progression from them going forward. This my, is an ugly one that if you're in that Montreal locker room, you're just trying to forget. My closing thought on the Bomber team is just some numbers. First downs, 36 to 10 in favor of Winnipeg. Rushing yards, 245 to 66. Passing yards, 343. A lot of some of those were Brian Bennett in the fourth quarter, including a touchdown, to 102. Total yards 588 to 166. Bombers had three sacks. Here's the thing: Montreal's zero sacks. Chris Revel, you could argue, didn't even really get touched in that game. Well, that's not true. He did dive head first into a couple of tackles, true. and he did actually get shaken up for a little bit. Here's the other thing. Number of punts the Bombers had in the football game. Two. When you can do that in the CFL and minimize your work for your kicker. Last year, honestly, Ryan, this would have been a game where it would have been six Matalot field goals, couple punts. Probably still would have won the game, but it would have been a lot closer. Why? Because the Bombers were unable to put the ball in the end zone. True. This time, the Bombers had some finish to them. I'm going to cut you off there. We're going to move on to the That's next. All. We're going to move on to the next game here, Mike. Our closest football game of the week, and I say that with, uh, you know, air quotes around it, uh, air quotes close, because 38-21, the Ticats take this one over the Eskimos. Boy, Mike, in Hamilton right now, it's Mazzoli Mania, and Friday night, it was hashtag Timis time. Because these two guys ran that Ticats offense early, and they ran them often 
and they ran all over that Eskimos defense. For me, I, I didn't see the game, so I'm just going to make some assessments on some highlights that I saw. Hamilton looked at that tape against the Bombers, made some adjustments, and exposed some weaknesses, i.e. defense. I mean, Mazzoli, let's talk about him first, was spectacular in this game. 332 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception, also picked up 59 yards on the ground. You know, he had a very similar game to what Chris Strebler had this week. And uh, after two weeks, Mazzoli is second in the league in passing, only 18 yards back of one Mike Riley. Can we... I can ask this question because I think I know what answer I'm going to get, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How long until we put Jeremiah Mazzoli as a top-tier quarterback? We need to start considering it. This guy does not get the recognition he deserves. He is another one of those great mobile quarterbacks Uh, You know, he loves to use his legs. He can make plays happen. And he's still going to, you know, people are still going to look at him as the guy, as a guy that throws untimely interceptions, perhaps. But I think Mazzoli's proven and what he did at the end of last season and early in this season that we need to start giving him a little bit more respect. And he's earned it. Hence why I picked in the preseason Hamilton to finish first in the East. But it's two weeks in. Um, I'm all about bold predictions on this podcast, so I'll give you one here, Mike. Okay. Um, granted, we're two weeks into the season, but I think Jeremiah Mazzoli is the Eastern nominee for Most Outstanding Player in 2018. But Ryan, Johnny Manziel's on the team. Oh, wait, he's not getting on the field anytime soon at this rate. No. How much does that have to do with anything? What do you mean? How much is Mazzoli fired up in your mind, but... You know what? I'm so fired up. I don't want to lose that job to a guy who literally is the circus. I, I don't think. I honestly don't think it's affecting him because we saw him be this effective at the end of last season. So I, I think this is just who Jeremiah Mazzoli is as a football player and, you know, as a class act. And he's showing why he needs to start being considered as one of the top quarterbacks in the CFL here, Mike. Great game by Mazzoli. Using, I mean, Using all of the weapons at his disposal, we talked after last week about how Jalen Saunders was had such a great game in Week One for the Thai Cats and was a big fantasy play this week. I mean, he finished fourth on the team in receiving yards with just 33. You had Brandon Banks, Luke Tasker, and the great return of Terrence Tolliver all putting up big numbers this week. So Mazzoli used all of the weapons at his disposal. And how about the running back for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Mercer Timmis? What a game from him. You know what? It's unfortunate the Bombers didn't use Harris a little bit more than they did, especially late in the game last week against Edmonton. Um, But, you know, it's a one-two punch as far as keeping opposing defenses off balance if he can... If you can get uh, your running game to be just as effective as your quarterback, and unfortunately, I think this hinges down to the inexperience of the Eskimos defense. Yeah, and Timmis, you know, had a great game all game long, and then he really sealed the deal. That burst of speed 
on his game ceiling touchdown run there. It was almost like the one we saw from Don Jackson for Calgary the week before against the tie cats. I mean, they, the tie cats, Alex green is still injured. Um, they, I don't know how he's in the field when he comes back. They brought in John white. Many expected him to take over the starting role. Timis, uh, didn't really get that many carries last week. It was Nikita Whitlock that got most of them. They give him the ball this week, and he he ran well, and uh, he deserves obviously another start after that. And I'm interested to see what he does against Bombers this week. Um, looking at the Eskimos side of things in this game, what do you make of the Eskimos' performance? Well, I I think it goes to show, but as much as we believe that this could be theoretically possible, that I think it shows that Mike Riley can single-handedly win you a football game. If he needs, he's a good quarterback, that's a good offense, but they need some help. Did you sense a bit of frustration from Mike Riley in this game? Because he started the game off his first pass of the game, I believe, something like 88 yards downfield to Duke Williams. It was deja vu of what he did last week in Winnipeg to with that long touchdown to Darrell Walker. And then... He went one of seven to start the game. That was his only completed pass of his first seven passing attempts was that long bomb. Mike Riley tried this long bomb down the middle about five or six times in this game. And and it might have worked a couple of times. I know that Williams one did. I think there was one to Kenny Stafford that did. But there were a couple of them that weren't effective. And with the game on the line late in the game, conveniently, what does Riley do? He tries to bomb it down the field. Well, you've done that five or six times already this game. The Ticats know it's coming at that point. It's interesting because I consider Edmonton to be more of a deep threat team offensively than a medium threat team. And by medium, I mean five to seven yards. By deep, I mean ten plus yard receivers. For me, Edmonton, and this is the way... And I didn't see any of the game, but this is what I see of Edmonton. I don't know if they have that receiver that, when called upon, can make that seven-yard catch in traffic. Like the Ben Cahoon types, like the Weston Dressler types. Edmonton, to me, strikes me as a team that go big or go home at this point. And... Those success against Winnipeg was largely those 10-yard and up passes on second down to keep the game alive. None of this five to seven yards plays that, you know, the Bombers seem to run but put them in second and manageable. I don't know. That's just the way I see it. I, I haven't seen Edmonton only the one time other, other than that against the Bombers. I, I just find it very interesting. I... That they rely more on the ten yard passes and up than the five to seven yard. I don't know. That that's just me on the on the outside. And I mean, I I mean, I'll I'll cut you off there quickly if that's all sure. right. Yeah. I, I I was expecting more from C.J. Gable coming into this year, and through two weeks, he see it seems like both the Bombers and the Ticats defense shut him down, or maybe he hasn't been used that much. My big question with the Eskimos is the defense because they're pretty banged up on defense. 
They've had a lot of injuries in that opening game against the Bombers. You know, their entire starting secondary was out, and some more guys have gotten injured along the way. I I don't know what to make of this defense because they did not look great against Hamilton. Well, and especially from a standpoint, it seemed like whatever guy went down last year, they had a replacement for him. Right. And I don't think, based on what you were saying, we're seeing that. No, I don't. I don't think necessarily we are this year. Final takeaways from this game uh, for the Ticats side of things, a very respectable win. You know, their start to the season is not easy. They opened their season with five games against West Division opponents. They played a close loss to the Calgary Stampeders. They now went and dominated the Eskimos. That's a pretty respectable start to the season. And now they play an interesting matchup with the Bombers, who are known to give up a lot of yards on defense. Well, let's see what Mazzoli can do against them. Eskimos side of things, they got to bounce back from this one. I think they got to get C.J. Gable going a little more on offense so that Mike Riley doesn't have to, you know, attempt those 50-yard passes all game long. And their defense needs to shore a couple things up here as they bounce back and get ready for the BC Lions. I think it's something here. Edmonton defensively, they learn as they go. Uh, I think you got to put the hard hat on and you got to be like that guy that had that internship and ah you've seen it before this is how you do it and and i don't know i don't think it's time to panic in edmonton by any means at all i think this is just a loss and i hope edmonton draws on that experience of that of last year because i think it at the end of the day it's really gonna help them uh final game of the week the stampeders and the argos this is a tough one to talk about mike oh. Uh, I, this was the only game of the week I did not watch. I watched a little, little bits and pieces of it. I, uh, I, I, I happened to see most of it on uh, PVR. I tuned into the game and saw that it was 34 to one at one point for the Stampeders. And I'm thinking, cause you know, I questioned after our first three games of the week, well, we finally see a close game this week. And I looked at the score and I was like, nope, never mind. And then the heartbreaking part comes in. Ricky Ray, a nasty injury, down on the field for quite some time and had to be stretchered off and taken to hospital. That was heartbreaking to watch. Yeah. Um, granted, you don't... It's it's heartbreaking to see anybody just turn it off on a, on a stretcher. Let's make that clear. Um it hurts a little bit more, unfortunately, but it's a guy, a future Hall of Famer in Ricky Ray. And nothing malicious about the hit. I've, no, no, it was a clean hit. I've seen it 15, 20 times. And to be honest, and I don't mean to make the laughing matter of it, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more. Uh, those two DNs coming from either side, both of them have one mission and one mission only, and that's to go get the quarterback. And I'm quite surprised that, you know, we don't see more of those, more of those types of plays. And I'm thankful we don't. I'm just surprised that they don't happen more at the high speed that this game is played at. Now, since then, we've gotten the very wonderful news that he has feeling in all of his extremities. So he is not paralyzed in any way. He will be missing significant time for the Argos. And that to me, Ryan, is the scary part. Um... The fact that they're still doing tests to determine the extent of the injury. No concussion. That was another big thing as well. I know, but then you get into, and I know Jim Pop said this, it's 
not spinal cord related, but you know, anytime you're dealing with an injury of this type, you know, we've seen it, you know, a digest carted off, just to spend a night in the hospital for observation. But let's be real here. This is dragging into a third day of their evaluating the injury. And the fact that they suggest that he didn't miss an extended period of time, that's not good. Here's what makes this so hard is because this was a very large case of deja vu with what we saw with Anthony Calvillo of the Montreal Alouettes. Absolutely. That's the first thing that entered my head. Calvillo, one of the best quarterbacks in CFL history, his career ended not by his choice but due to injury because the dude kept on coming back and eventually, you know, injury took him out of the game. We talked about Ricky Ray won a Grey Cup last year. He's won, I believe, four Grey Cups in his career. He had all of the makings of, you know, this is the perfect way to go out and end your career on a high note after winning the Grey Cup last year. On your terms. On your terms, which it's unfortunate some players don't get to do. For the love of the game and his passion for the game, Ray decides to come back for another season. And and I fully respect I fully respect him for doing. I so. I don't I don't blame him number one. No, and I fully respect him for doing so. And then now to have him go out and now questions being will Ricky Ray ever play football again? Quite frankly, I hope he does because Ricky Ray is a better quarterback than to go out and have something like this. It's heartbreaking. I I mean, it, there's two sides of it because you know the you want to see him come back and play so he can end it on his own note. But you also don't want him to come back and have something worse happen now after ha- taking this. So I don't know all of the best, really all of the best to Ricky Ray in his recovery. I was a, I was of the mindset that Ricky Ray should retire immediately upon hearing this news. Now I'm somewhere in the middle and I'm like, you, I, I don't know. And of course, all the best to Ricky Ray. He's got his wife and two kids who are probably scared of what they saw at the game. I don't know if you saw the story before the game, but he took the, what would be considered like transit to the game. Yeah, I saw that. And not one person, uh, not recognized, but not, he did so like a normal citizen of Toronto. And that's pretty cool. And, and so as a guy that's followed Ricky Ray, basically from the start of his career, in 2002, I sure as heck hope that 16 years later your career doesn't end on a play that the play that wound up causing the injury. In particular, I think what hurts the most is 34, 34 to 1. Someone suggested, and I think the commentators mentioned this ironically enough, the play before. Should Ricky Ray even be in this type of game? And yeah. Mark, Mark Trustman is a coach that doesn't like to pull his quarterback regardless of scores. So. I want to talk about Calgary here in this game. I mean, Calgary manhandled the Argos. We talked last week about Bo Levi Mitchell completing less than 50% of his passes uh, against the Ticats. Well, uh, he just put forth a performance that I believe the third most accurate game of all time behind, guess who, Ricky Ray and Ricky Ray, uh, 20 of 22, 324 yards, three touchdown passes, 
uh, for Bo Levi Mitchell. What a game for him. Yeah. Um, honestly, Bo Levi Mitchell, you wouldn't expect anything less after a lackluster performance by Bo Levi Mitchell standards. Yeah. And uh, Eric Rogers, uh, Eric Rogers is back in the CFL and he's taken it by storm already two weeks in. Five catches, 131 yards, two touchdowns. He was a monster out there on the field this game. Tavares Daniels seems to always torch the Argos. Uh, what do you make of the running game, Mike? Nine carries, 123 yards for Don Jackson. 12 carries, 70 yards for Terry Williams. So almost 200 yards rushing between the two. Yeah, and I think it was in large part to the success of Bowley by Mitchell, too, and the confusion that it wound up causing the Toronto defense. And quite frankly, I'm dumbfounded the Argos have looked this terrible in two games. This is my question now. The Argos have not looked good in two games. They're now without their starter in Ricky Ray. James Franklin takes over, um, not in the way any of us wanted him to take over this offense. What do you take away from everything with the Argos now, quickly? Well, it's two games, quite frankly, where I can't remember a team coach by Mark Trustman looking bad in two straight games, maybe once, once, and that's a testament to how good. And now I think we see what Mark Trustman's really made of, trying to dig down deep and fix the problems that, in my opinion, are a lot deeper rooted than just the defense. That's a great way to put it there. Finally, just to wrap up week two in the CFL, let's quickly go through and give our offensive, defensive, and special teams players of the week. Offensive side of the ball, a lot of good candidates here, Mike. Who are you taking? Full Levi Mitchell. I am as well. I want to give it to Strevler. I want to give it to Mazzoli. But I mean, Mitchell, all three were shot performers of the week. So. And Mitchell put forth one of the three most accurate performances in CFL history. So I give him the credit there as well. Defensive side of the ball, where are you going for this one? Tristan Opaludo. 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 Tristan Opaludo. Sure. Okay. Let's go with that. Why? Um, he was the beast. Oddly enough, um was the feature on a bomber player profile before the game. Uh, just one of the many standouts that has had a really good two names, anchor by that bomber D-line. I'll give my defensive player of the week, I think, to Jonathan Rose for that pick six against the Riders. I thought the, the Ottawa defense played a very strong game, and he was a big part of that there. So I'll, I'll give that one to Jonathan Rose. Uh, special teams player of the week. I'm going out to Calgary and I'm going out to Terry Williams. Punt return. Was it a punt return or a kick return touchdown? I, I didn't see it. Uh, he had a big, but... he had a big return touchdown there, uh, for the Stampeders. Uh, game was quite a bit out of reach at that point. Still a big performance by Terry Williams. So he's my special teams player of the week. Who's yours? Well, it's a very hard for me, you know, to know the bomber route because they weren't really on special teams. Um, do you give it to Rashawn Simonai for that punt block? You know, it is abnormal to have, you know, a guy lets him cause a block, but I'm going to do a little, little bit of a different route here. And that is to give it to nobody. Because I don't believe that 
one performance separated another this week in a game that was a lot of games that had really no special teams bearings because the games were so lopsided. We're two weeks in and Mike's already breaking the rules. <laughs> That's it for our week two re- recap here. Uh, look forward to our week three preview show featuring Joe Pritchard of the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast. You'll be joining me for an interview to preview the Bombers and Ticats game. That will be coming out on Wednesday. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music. You can also find all of our content at our on our website at mikefmwinnipeg.com slash the Canadian Football Countdown. All hyphenated uh, that last part there. Uh, you can also find Mike's power rankings on there as those will be coming out this Thursday week morning. as well. Thursday morning. And if you missed the announcement off the top of the show there, uh, we are officially members now of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Make sure you visit cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter uh, in order to uh, find all of the great Canadian Football Podcast Network shows out there. And a huge thank you to the guys for welcoming uh, welcoming us into their group. Yes, your welcomes have been uh, deeply and sincerely appreciated. Uh, just a quick programming note. No show live on the station next week, but there will still be two shows. On all of the podcast feeds. Yes. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music. We're working on some other ones here. We're working on trying to get onto Stitcher as well for Android users out there. And, uh, of course, follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. On Facebook, facebook.com slash CFC on Mike FM. Mike is going to a mysterious location next week for vacation. Tune in next week to find out where. That's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you again, as always, for listening to the Canadian Football Countdown. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening and tune in Wednesday for our week three, week three preview of the Canadian Football Countdown. Thank you. Bye.